0: The following program is sponsored Corporated.
1: Today on Know the Truth from Philip DeCourcy.
2: God is good by nature. It's instinctual to God to be gracious and merciful and loving through his many works of providence and provision and protection. And God is working good even in the bad. God is good. God does good. God is always working good even in the bad. Don't ever doubt it.
1: in our hearts that God is good, but when we look at our upside-down world, we can find ourselves wondering what He's up to. This is Know the Truth, and I'm your host, Wayne Shepherd. Today, our teacher, Philip DeCourcy, takes us to Psalm 73, where the psalmist wrestles with the prosperity of the wicked and the success of those who do evil. It's hard to reconcile the bad things that continue to happen unless we take the long view of God's goodness and justice. Here now with today's message is Philip DeCourcy.
2: I don't know about you, but when it comes to movie choices, I like to go and watch a movie with a good ending, a happy ending. I like movies where the good guys come out on top, where the bad guys get it in the neck, just right there at the end. You get a sense there's something right with the world. Everything is in its true balance. And I think you and I enjoy a movie like that. And I think Hollywood makes money off movies like that because they're kind of the antithesis of the world we live in. They're a kind of escape where we leave hoping that somewhere in the world Captain America is fighting for truth, liberty, and justice for all. Or somewhere in the shadows, there's a dirty Harry going to clean up the streets. But when you leave the movie theater, when you leave the cinema, you come out into a world that is really the antithesis of what you watched on the silver screen because life in the raw usually has the bad guy on top. Child abusers never get caught. Rapists get off. People get away with murder. Corporate crime gets whitewashed in the bankruptcy court. Mafia bosses live into their 90s and die peacefully in their sleep with their family around the bed. It is the infamous that are famous in our world. It seems all upside down and inside out, at times life just isn't fair. That's why we enjoy our escape into the theater on a Friday night or a Saturday night, because out in the world there's so much injustice. The bad guys are winning. And we often wonder, has Micah got it right? that the way you ought to live your life is to walk humbly and show mercy and do justly? (laughs) But why? Does it work? Does it pay off? Doesn't seem like it. That's the world we live in. And it's the world that Asaph, the writer of Psalm 73, lived in. Because this modern problem was an ancient problem. Why do the righteous suffer? Why do the wicked prosper? This is the question that's being answered in the psalm before us. And I want us to come and look at this psalm because... This problem is a present problem as it was a past problem. And I love the fact that this psalm wasn't written in some classroom, in some theological seminary. It was written in the trenches of painful experience. This is the story of a worship leader who stopped singing. Because Asaph was a worship leader in Israel under David. He was a choir director in the temple. We believe that he penned upwards of 11 psalms. But here he's telling us that what he was singing didn't square with what he was seeing. What he was singing didn't square with what he was seeing. The worship service didn't connect with the world from which he had come. Because in that world, God doesn't seem to be sovereign. In that world, there's no justice. In that world, the wicked prosper. And the righteous suffer. And this guy has a crisis of faith. If God is good, and the creed says he is, if God is good, then why does it seem good to be bad? If God is just, how do you explain all the injustice? So let's come and look at this psalm together in our series Maximum Security because it's going to help us keep our balance in a world that's upside down. A world in which the bad guys are winning. The good guys are losing, and the church is suffering, and the godless are arrogant and wicked, and where the culture celebrates the abnormal and the unnatural and the perverse and the deviant, let's come and look at this psalm and find some healing and find some hope because here's a man who, according to his own words, almost plunged to his spiritual death. Lost his footing, according to verse 2. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps were nearly slipped. Verse 3, because I was envious of the boastful. I saw the prosperity of the wicked. There's no pang in their death. Their strength's firm. They're not in trouble like other men. Let me say this by way of further introduction. I'm so thankful for the honesty of this psalm. You know, when you come to God's word, God doesn't whitewash the struggles of his people. The saints of God are not airbrushed on the pages of God's Word. We get them warts and all. I don't know if you're aware of the background of that little phrase, but Oliver Cromwell, the protector of England, was once having his portrait painted. Now, as we say in Northern Ireland, looking at him, he wasn't much of an oil painting. And he knew it. In fact, he turned to the man who was commissioned to do his painting and said, paint me warts and all. He had a couple of warts, big one on the end of his nose. Paint me warts and all. And you know what? That's what God does. We don't come to the Bible and find Christians who have it all together. You don't come to the Psalms and find people who have never been riddled with doubt or fallen into despair or been held in the grip of faith or who haven't sinned wildly. You meet all kinds of saints like that in the Psalms. You find that again and again. That's why Athanasius, the great church leader of the early centuries of church history, said elsewhere in the Bible, you read only that the law commands this or that to be done. You listen to the prophets to learn about the Savior's coming, or you turn to the historical books to learn of the doings of kings and holy men. But in the Psalter, besides all these things, you learn about yourself. You find depicted in it all the movements of your soul, all its changes, all its ups and downs, all its failures and recoveries. And amen to that. The Psalms not only speak to us, they speak for us. It's us. And the kind of doubts and debates and struggles we go through. And here in Psalm 73, we meet a saint who failed and recovered. And he writes to tell us how we can keep our balance where he lost his footing. And this is the third maxim in our maximum security series. We need to pray, Philippians 4. We need to expect suffering, 1 Peter 4. And we need to believe in God's goodness and justice in a world gone wrong, Psalm 73. Now, if you're taking notes, let's start to break this text down. Let's begin to expound it. I want you to see what I'm calling the reflection. This is verse 1. The psalm begins with the reflection. Before long, Asaph is going to tell us his struggle with doubt. How he even envied the wicked. How, as a worship leader, he stopped singing. He lost his joy. He lost his focus. But he begins with the reflection, he failed and then he recovered. And he wants us to know, while he will tell us about his doubts, he has got over his doubts. And he wants us to know, verse 1, truly God is good to Israel and to those who are pure of heart. He begins with a creedal confession. He wants Israel to know that God is dedicated to those who are dedicated to him. God is good in his giving. God is good in his withholding. God is good in his forgiving. God is good all the time and in all things. And he says, get it down. I doubted it, but I want you to know you shouldn't doubt it. And God helped me to get a grip on this truth once again in my life. And I'm here to tell you truly God is good to Israel. Let me give you two verses to write down and think this out. Just a little bit of a primer on the goodness of God. Psalm 119 verse 68 and Romans 8 verse 28. In Psalm 119 68, the Bible says God is good and God does good. And in Romans 8 verse 28, the Bible says, and God works all things together for good. He takes the bad and uses it for good. So what do we get out of that? Just thinking about the goodness of God. God is good by nature. It's instinctual to God to be gracious and merciful and loving. It's part of his nature. It's who he is. God is good by nature. God is good through his many works of providence and provision and protection. And God is working good even in the bad. And the psalmist wants us to believe that. God is good. God does good. God is always working good even in the bad. Now, I want you to notice something, too. Scroll down to verse 28. This is the end of the psalm. And what do we read? It's good for me to draw near to God. This is what grammarians or commentators called an inclusion or an inclusio. The psalmist is going to tell us his struggle. He's going to tell us his story. But he kind of packages it in, God is good, and it's good to draw near to God. Now, in the middle, he'll tell us there was a time in his life where he doubted that. He stumbled, he slipped, he lost his hold on that, and that lost its hold on him. But he has recovered by God's grace. And he just wants us to know, as we listen to his story, this is what he has learned. This is the wisdom he wants to pass on to us. God is good, and it's good to draw near to God. Don't ever doubt it. And listen, here's something I want you to think about. He begins with his conclusion, okay? He begins with this conclusion. I doubted it. I wrestled with this whole thought of God's goodness and God's justice in a world gone wild. But then... I found my song once again in a worship service. I went into the sanctuary. I saw their end. I saw that God is good. I saw that God is just, that everything will be resolved within the providence and plan of God. And I have acted foolishly. I have spoken like a dumb beast. Lord, forgive me. Thank you that you've been with me when I've doubted you. And now I'm back to tell the folks that need to hear my story. God is good. That's the conclusion of all of this. Don't ever doubt it. And I think he gives us this so that we come to that conclusion in our story a little bit earlier than he did. We can learn from his mistakes. We can follow his recovery. And so that our recovery when we stumble can be quicker. So that's the reflection. Number two, I want you to see the rant. This guy goes off on a rant. Having stated what he knows to be true, he's humble and honest enough to say, but hey, that wasn't always the case with me. But as for me, verse 2, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. I was envious of the boastful. I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Here's what he's saying. What I believed and what I was taught in the temple and what I beheld, what I confronted in life, seemed to be in conflict. And it created a crisis in my life. The truth that God blesses those that obey him didn't square with reality. We recited the creed. We sang the great hymns of faith. We heard a word from the Torah. And I left the double doors of the church sanctuary and went out into the world and what I saw conflicted and contradicted what I heard. And it put me into a tailspin. I almost slept. What I believed and what I beheld were two different things. I mean, hey, didn't God communicate this through Moses that if you'll obey me, I'll bless you, and if you disobey me, I'll curse you? And I've been working off that script in my life, and I keep my hands clean, I work on my heart, I worship God, I follow the Torah. But as he'll tell us a little later on, it doesn't seem to work. It doesn't get you anywhere. It's the wicked that prosper. It's the righteous that suffer. And he goes off on a rant here that life from the perspective of ground zero is not fair. Basically, the life of the righteous is a struggle. Look at verses 13 and 14. Surely I've cleansed my heart in vain. I've washed my hands in innocence for all day long. I've been plagued and chastened every morning. The life of the righteous is a struggle. The life of the wicked is a scoosh. Verses 4 and 5, there's no pangs in their death. Their strength is firm. There's no trouble in their lives as other men. They're not plagued. I'm plagued. They're not plagued. Look at verse 12. They're always at ease. They're driving down easy street. The bad guys are winning. I don't like how this movie's going. There's no good ending in it, it seems to me. Ashif is disoriented discombobulated. He doesn't know what ends up. And so the rest of the psalm, following the statement of verse 1, is his struggle to come to terms with the truth, that his eyes are deceiving him. Faith told him that God is good. Sight told him sin pairs, because he looks out on life The wicked are pompous. Look at verses 4 through 7. And he talks about the fact that pride marks them, verse 6 especially. Pride serves as their necklace. What an image. Violence covers them like a garment. What an image. You know, they wear their pride like someone wearing a medallion or a woman wearing a necklace. They just throw it out there. They're not behind the board. They're happy to tell you who they are, what they do. They're unembarrassed by their embarrassing life. They're pompous, they're prosperous. Verses 4 and 5 again, their strength is firm. They're not troubled as other men. They don't seem to be plagued by the problems that other men face in life. Scroll down to verse 12. They're at ease and they're loving it. They're just having a great old time. And this is the wicked, by the way. Scroll down to verse 10. Therefore, his people return here and waters of a full cup are drained by them. This is a difficult verse in the Hebrew to translate, but I think most commentators are in agreement. It has this idea that the public drinks it all in. They can't get enough of their story in the magazines they read. You know, they tune in to the television programs that make the infamous famous. They're entertained by wickedness by the bizarre, by the deviant, by the sinful. The people are drinking it in. These are the cultural icons. They've got the microphone. They've got the spotlight. And this is getting under the skin and into the soul of Asaph. And he's finding it hard to worship because God's good and God's just and God's sovereign. But if you look through the stained glass window of the temple and out under the street... It's a whole different picture. Makes you wonder if all this stuff's pie in the sky. The wicked are pompous and prosperous and popular and pagan. Verses 9 and verse 11, They set their mouth against heaven, their tongues walk through the earth. They're not necessarily atheistic, but God's an irrelevance to them. They say in verse 11, How does God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? You guys say God is good, God is just, sin doesn't pay. Well, you know, I don't know. (laughs) Where is your God? Because sin pays for us. Wickedness works. I like what Richard Phillips, the Presbyterian pastor, says of this passage. He says that the writer, Asaph, gives an impressive argument for his jealousy. and He really does. I mean, you've, you've got some sympathy with this guy. In fact, the Psalms not only speak to us, they speak for us. Many of us would read this. When I was a police officer in Northern Ireland, I had to come to Psalm 73 again and again and again because I could identify with this guy. As good men were dying and wicked men were living. The courts couldn't prosecute the case against terrorists, so we caught. They would leave the court room with a smirk on their face, you know. You can make an impressive argument for envying the wicked. I think you can do that through personal experience and and what you see in life and what you read in history. And so here we have not only the reflection, but the rant. Spurgeon says this, Poor Asaph, he questions the value of holiness when its wages are paid in the coin of affliction. There are crowns for the reprobate and crosses for the elect. Strange that the saints should sigh and the sinner... What a great quote. That's exactly where our writer as He looks out. The reprobates wear crowns, and the elect wear crosses, and the sinners sing, and the saints sigh. His struggle is the struggle of many within history. It's our struggle. It's the struggle of the Christian woman who won't compromise her standards sexually, but she finds herself on the shelf she's struggling with her singleness, with her loneliness, as she watches girls who slept around get married and have children and live in a nice home. This is the struggle of the Christian businessman. I was talking to one just recently who plays by the rules and yet is undercut in his bid for business by those who hire illegal workers and don't pay taxes. It's hard to bid against that bid. You're always going to be underbid. This is the struggle of the law enforcement officers I've said whose witness criminals pay the best of lawyers to help them circumvent justice and they watch as the murderer, the rapist, the child abuser, the mafiosa leaves the court with a smile on their face. We got off on this one. (laughs) Good try. And that officer has to go back and look into the face of the widow or the victim who feels they got no justice. Make you pretty angry pretty quick. This is the struggle of the Christian actor and I've had several in my congregations in years gone by who refuse to play a certain part in a movie and finds themselves blacklisted at Hollywood because they don't play the game. This is the struggle of the saint who's sick and ill, whose life is under threat while the wicked live long lives and die peacefully. There's no pangs in their death. I've had that thought. I think every pastor's wondered as they've left the ICU unit or the cancer ward, and especially when you leave the young and you get into a little bit of a conversation with the Lord in the elevator, Lord, if you're going to take someone, if you don't mind me advising you, I have a long list of people I could give you (laughs) that we could sooner do without than that young man or that young woman or that young mother or that young father. Lord, I don't know why you pick the flowers and leave the weeds. I just don't know why you do that, Lord. You're meant to be good. You're meant to be sovereign. You're meant to be just. Sorry for the rant, but I have a reflection here. God is good, but I also have a rant where this man wonders, why does God allow saints to sigh and sinners to sing and reprobates to wear crowns and the elect to wear crosses? But real saints do struggle back to my kind of point at the introduction I'm thankful that God gave space in his word for the rant of one of his saints didn't shut him down didn't censor him I love the humanity and the honesty of this look at verse 16 when I thought how to understand this it was too painful for me there's nothing plastic about this nothing unauthentic about this sanctification doesn't come without a fight to believe in God at times doesn't come easily but as my old pastor, Ivan Thompson, said many times from the pulpit of Rothkill Baptist Church, the outlook is gloomy, but the uplook is glorious.
1: What a refreshing and honest perspective shared by the psalmist Asaph and our teacher, Philip DeCourcy. You're listening to Know the Truth in a message called Keeping the Balance. You can listen again online and catch up on any other messages you might have missed. Just go to KTT.org and look for the series titled Maximum Security. We're grateful we can bring Know the Truth to you every day on the radio and the web and even on our KTT app and podcast. And every time you tune in, you're benefiting from the support of generous listeners who value the ministry of Know the Truth. So perhaps today you'll join our growing family of supporters by becoming a monthly Truth Ambassador. When you do, you'll be helping people in your city and cities across the country to know the truth. Start your monthly recurring gift today when you call 888-644-8811 or sign up online at ktt.org. And when you make a generous donation of any kind, we'll say thanks by sending you Philip DeCoursey's newest book titled Take Cover. It's just coming off the press now and you'll be one of the first to receive it. Based on the Maximum Security series you're hearing all this month, Take Cover offers a biblical guide for finding peace in God's protection. Ask for your copy when you call 888-644-8811 or request Take Cover when you donate online at ktt.org. And this month, you can call in to get another new resource available to all of our newest Know the Truth listeners. It's the free Take Cover bookmark that lists some of the key principles Philip shares in his new book. Keep it handy to take cover in moments of crisis. Ask for the free bookmark when you call 888-644-8811. Here's wishing you a great weekend. I'm your host, Wayne Shepherd. Join us again next week when Philip DeCoursey continues his series titled Maximum Security. That's coming up Monday on Know the Truth. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth, Incorporated. Jesus said, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free.